can change the world, it's your choice One mic, one voice You can change the world, it's your choice One mic, one voice You can change the world, it's your choice One mic, one voice Welcome to the One Mic, One Voice show, Building the Collective Conscious. The show that's created to give space where your voice, ideas, and informed opinions can be heard, appreciated, and debated. I am Michael Eric Owen. Yeah. Back in the studio, folks. Yeah, we got a little rain today, but ain't nothing wrong with some rain. Rain washes away all the, I guess, it cleanses the earth. I want to talk to you today about a serious topic but I think every time is a serious topic unfortunately or fortunately because we learn something and we grow from that but I want to look at uh, as I title this particular podcast America pride before the fall pride before the fall America has never had the courage to face its past or confront its present. The courage, that's the key word, the courage. Throughout the generations, throughout um, American leadership, national, state, and local level, we have not had the courage to face our path, path, past, or confront the present. Matter of fact, the Republicans are doing everything in their power to not even talk about the past, to not even address the issues, to not even revisit our mistakes. They don't want to look in the rearview mirror. They're on the gas pedal and they're moving forward. And they're trying to reshape the narrative of our day, not just forget the past, but reshape, reshape, what we see with our own eyes today. Even on a personal level, folks, think about this for a moment. Many of us would simply like to forget our past. It's too painful. It's too difficult. Very few are willing to share our misdeeds, our bad decisions, our failures. We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to go back. We don't want to embrace what happened to us. And in some cases, that's a good thing. However, it is the very essence of doing these things, going back, talking about it, analyzing it, articulating it, embracing it, It is the very essence of doing these things that begins a journey of healing. Our country is infected. Deeply infected. Not just with the coronavirus, but with the American virus. The virus that there there seems to be no cure. Matter of fact, We don't even want to look for a cure. A lot of people are making a whole lot of money off of this virus. A lot of people are retaining power and privilege because of the virus. It is a shame 
that we are in such denial because only by doing these things, going back, talking about it, analyzing it, embracing it, can we begin, that's the key word, begin a journey of healing. Not heal, just because we talk about it doesn't mean that we're, we're, we're healing from it. Healing is a process. It takes a long time. But, folks, listen. America does not want to do that. So the, the question of the day is how do we, how do we as a people heal? How do we somehow when the oppressors of the truth deny it, how do we gravitate toward it and embrace it without bringing ourselves or this country to this fundamental truth? of looking back, of embracing, of understanding, there will be no change. Change is not possible. Well, you hear all things are possible. Well, change is not possible. It's a process. There are certain steps that have to take place in order for that to happen. Let's talk about healing for a moment. Let's say, for instance, I do something that offends you, deeply offends you, you're hurt. But you come to me and we try to have a conversation and, and I tell you simply, I didn't do it. That wasn't me. You misunderstood. Can you heal from that? I don't think you can. Because I have not acknowledged that I have hurt you. I have not acknowledged that I have caused you pain. It is within that acknowledgement that you receive from me that lets me know that you understand. That I understand. And only then can we begin to repair our relationship. It can't happen before then. So the very denial of the hurt, of the pain, prevents one from healing. And our nation, our nation is broken. We're in two, you know, you've heard in the past where we talk so much about two Americas, the rich and the poor, the privileged and the non-privileged and so forth, right? But we are in the vax and the vaccinated. <laughs> We're in two different Americas one that refuses to see the reality of our day. One that says no. What you see and what you understand is not true. This is a joke. I mean, I, I could have never imagined that. I don't know if there's, I'm sure there's segments in other countries of uh, people that deny that the coronavirus is a problem. But I don't think like America, though. I don't think we fall along political lines. I don't think they have. And when you think about right versus left, this is clearly a political issue. There's nothing about public safety or public health. 
But when you are prideful, when you are prideful, it is Sunday morning, and there's a scripture that says, first comes the pride, then the fall. Not that it's a possibility, but it's a reality. Those who hold themselves at such high esteem, look at me. Matter of fact, I heard one gentleman say that was recently there uh, in the Oval Office, I alone can fix this. And look at this country. Arthur says, I'm skeptical of any immediate change. If there is no gradual evolution of change, it comes off insecure to me. Like you said, it's a process. Exactly. Exactly. And we have to understand the process. See, the problem is many of us don't understand the process of change. Now, this podcast is not about that. I wrote a book that has a chapter on that. But change is a process. It's not overnight. It's not one gesture. It's not one victory. It's a process that people must go through not only to understand, but to embrace. And then there must be accountability. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But clearly, um, if we don't get this fundamental truth, so when you're out there and you're 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 arguing for this or you're standing up for that, and you do, if folks, if we cannot talk about the ills of America and what has gotten us to this place, change will never come. Your work is in vain. You say, well, hold on now. Don't say my work is in vain. Your work is in vain if we cannot have these discussions, if we cannot educate people. Frederick Douglass said, when I learned to read, I became free. Only the truth will set you free. It is through dialogue. It is through the knowledge of what we have went through that people go, my God, no. This is not right. We need to change this. But a lack of knowledge, again, I don't, these scriptures just keep coming to me. A lack of knowledge, the good book says, the people perish. For a lack of knowledge, the people perish. And we have a knowledge famine in America today. Social media plays a strong part in this. And the fact that we, we, we go along with these catchphrases and we, we hear these sort of things. You know, I, and people hit me up on Messenger all the time. They hit me up and they, and they, and they, and they, and they want to lay down an argument for something they disagree with what I said. Now, if anyone knows me, you do know I'm up for a good argument. But you must make sure that your facts and your data is legit. Number one, I'm not going to argue with you about something I'm ignorant of. Only a fool does that. But that which I know, yeah, I can pull out of the knowledge bank and um, articulate my thoughts. But this idea, these people, these idea that they think it's one thing 
or that somehow what we're looking at now is change. Folks, we're not looking at change. Tell me what has changed. Elijah says, what would you tell someone who has tried to get their community to change, but they can't get any support? Should they give up or continue to fight even though they are in the fight alone? Wow. That's an important question. What do you do? You know, I would, in the back of my mind, I would think that there's got to be a few folks that think like you. Now, you know, connecting with them is the most difficult thing. And something like that, I, I, would, I would simply start a, a, a Facebook group for your area and, uh, and begin to talk about these ideas and see who joins. That's one step. Um, can one person change a community? It's mm, an important question. Can one person? Look at Doc King. Look at Gandhi. But they were not one person. They were, but they had a support group around them. I, I, I think in order for change to truly take place, um, there's got to be strength in numbers. Um, now, the latter part of your question is we never give up. Why, why we breathe, we hope. So we never give up. It, it might come to the point where you simply do what you can only do. And sometimes we're, we're the ones that lay the foundation that somebody else builds upon. You know, like one plants, and again, I, I, I can't help it. It's Sunday morning. One plants and then the other one waters, but the Bible says God gives the increase. So there's, there's, there's a couple of things at play. And so, Eliza, you might just be the foundation for that, right? Or the one that plants those seeds, and, and after you, someone comes along. But you never give up. You continue to fight for change within your community. But I, I think the best thing is to find those that think like you, and hopefully there may be one or two, and, 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 and you can make some noise with one or two people. Uh, there's strength in numbers. You see, again, without bringing ourselves or this country to this fundamental truth of this conversation, of this embracing, of going back and understanding, articulating what has happened, this fundamental truth, change will never come. There can be no change without truth. No change without truth. There can be no truth without justice. There can be no truth without justice. And there can be no justice without healing. Did you hear what I just said? Let me repeat that. There can be no change without truth. There can be no truth without justice. And there can be no justice without healing. Okay? It's a process. We, you know what's funny to me is in this country, we have so many people that are hurting. 
so many people that are born into situations in which um, they had no say so. We have people that are struggling to put food on the table. We have people, we have kids that, 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 that go hungry every day. We, 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 we have all of these serious things going on. But what do we do? We don't address them. We don't focus on them. Why? Because there is a core reason why those things exist. You just can't address hunger without looking at American poverty and how poverty has played out over the course of American history. You see, it's, it's all linked. And now you have Republican states, governors are saying, including Oklahoma, oh, you can't talk about that. Oh, no, no, you, you can't talk about that. We can't solve hunger, childhood hunger, without talking about the history and legacy of poverty, right? You can give all the food in the world, but it is the systems that prevent them from rising up out of poverty so that they can put food on the table. Our inability to address our past, America's past, has paralyzed us today. We're paralyzed. The powerful men who run this country have taken an oath to suppress and distract from the truth. I don't know if they went into a secret room. I don't know if it's a sacred, secret handshake. I don't know what it is, but they have taken an oath to suppress and distract from the truth. It's been a strategy for the ages. Get this, folks. Next to Donald Trump, this is the second greatest con in the history of our country. The con that says somehow America can be great, it can be a beacon of democracy, that America can be this city on the hill that the world can look to for guidance and direction, that is a con when America won't even look at herself. Think about that. When we will not even have the courage to face our own demons, and we say we have none. America's great. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times, and probably you can attest to this, how many times you have been criticized because you have been critical of this government. And when I talk about government, I'm talking about in the general sense. I'm talking about national, state, and local. Don't just look to Congress. Look to your city hall. Look to your state house. Don't just look to, to, to the presidency. Look at your, your, your local commissioners. Look, look at all these people and ask yourself the question, 
Are they willing to do the hard work for change? Because you can hear the sound of change. Change has a sound. It reverberates. You can hear it. You know it. You might not be able to write it out, but when you hear it coming from a person that is committed, that is sold out, that has bought into change, that voice, you not only hear it, but you feel it. Yeah. I can, I can attest it to the rise of Barack Obama. Remember that time? Man. I could, I could, I could, I, I could hear it. But I could also feel it. I could feel the heart of America. I could feel the majority of the people in this country that were longing for change. But we didn't know about the backup plan. Again, they have taken an oath. <laughs> yes. To suppress and distract from the truth. And we can go into uh, um, certain events in which this uh, thing reared its ugly head. Um, Eliza says there is no excuse for poverty in this country when you have billionaires playing with rockets and playing astronauts. The money civilians spent to pretend to go to the space is disgusting. To go to space is disgusting. You know, I mean, man, that's a whole nother topic, right? Man, billionaires with their toys. Man, I, you know, it, it, to me, it's almost like on one end, one argument is, well, you can't tell people what to do with their money. They earn the money. I mean, we can have a discussion about whether or not they actually earn all that money themselves, but it was on the back of the proletariat, in my opinion. But anyway, so, so there's one argument that says, hey, you can't tell people what to do with their money. But then there's the moral argument, the human argument, right? That is it, is it right? Let me, just, let me just phrase the question. Is it right for a billionaire to fly a rocket to the moon, right? And just circle around, cost billions of dollars. Is it right in a country to allow that to happen while kids are going to bed hungry? While children are sharing textbooks? While we have all these latchkey children is it, we're in summer, is it right for a billionaire to fly a rocket to the moon? Wow, people don't even have proper AC in their homes. Well, people are dying from the heat. Is it right? I mean, I, I, I think you would get a variety of answers, but it, to me, it's a moral, it's, it gets down to are we our brothers and sisters keepers? So, yeah, I, I, man, that's a loaded one because we see the excess 
And again, I anybody that knows me know I love basketball. But when I'm looking at these contracts that are being dealt out for four years, two hundred and some million dollars. Now I know a lot of these boys are doing great things in their community, and it's not on their shoulders or any one person's shoulder to solve the poverty issue. But I'm just asking the question: Where are our priorities? And and, and furthermore, I would say that those things distract us from the truth. When that becomes the the uh, news of the day and the great accomplishment of the day, kids are still going to bed hungry. People are still homeless. I mean, the homeless rate is skyrocket. It's out of control. But yet, um, a man can fly. Two men can fly a rocket to the moon. Besides money and power, what keeps us from turning around and facing, accepting, and articulating the truth? Folks, we're talking about America. Pride before the fall. Pride before the fall. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to get back into what is that thing that prevents us we will be right back. This is Michael Eric Owens, host of the One Mike, One Voice show. I want to give a shout out to all of our listeners all across the globe. Thank you for your undivided attention and for your conversation. You can catch us every Sunday on YouTube, 1230 p.m. Central Standard Time. And you can also catch us on Podbeam, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, on any one of those lovely, wonderful podcasting platforms you love to listen to. Please always remember, you can change the world. It's your choice. We are a prideful nation. To the fault, to a fault. You see, pride blinds you, paralyzes you. Yeah, incapacitates you. <laughs> you can't see. You can't walk. You can't produce. Because of pride. First comes the pride, then the fall. So what prevents us? Let's talk about that. What prevents us from facing it, 
It's simple. It's very simple. It's hubris. It's pride. You think about this excessive pride, which is hubris, this arrogance. We simply are so caught up in this false narrative of greatness, of benevolency, of the idea that America has done nothing wrong. Even when we dropped the bomb, even when we dropped the bomb, America was justified. Even when we went into Vietnam, America was justified. When we went into Afghanistan, when we went into Iraq, we have always seen ourselves as the purest, the most pious. Even when we murder black and brown bodies on our streets, we're justified. We say things like when Saddam Hussein, he had weapons of mass destruction. We didn't tell you that we were the ones that gave them to him. But we were justified. We say, well, he shouldn't have ran from the police officer. You see, our inability to ever admit fault means that we don't have to be accountable for it. Do you know the Taliban has, has taken over territories we pulled out? And people say, well, we needed to get out of there. But we kind of, like, caused it. And so now they're taking over everything, and, and what's going to end up happening is we're going to go right back. Going to lose more lives of uh, their countrymen and ours. You see, our inability to face the truth of our existence prevents us from ever changing. You see, this pride has become America's Achilles heel. I know I've ruptured my Achilles heel. It's, it's debilitating. You can't do the things that you want to do. You can't get to where you're trying to go because you have this thing here. And just like I had to go into a boot and go through therapy and all of that in order for that process of healing to take place, America's got to do the same. But we are so stuck in our pride we are too proud to admit the evils of slavery, of Jim Crow, the murdering of black and brown bodies without a hint of justice. We're too proud to acknowledge the horrible way America has treated Native Americans, women, the LGBTQ plus community. We are too proud to even have a conversation. Get it out of our history books. That's what they say. Don't tell them. Think about that for a moment. Hide it from them. Hide it from them. Don't let them see it. Because if they see it, oh, it's going to cause 
something to happen in them. So therefore, we will keep it from them. I had a, was doing a program one night, and a lady got up, older white lady, very honest. She got up and she said she deals with something every day. Every day she's got to fight the racism and prejudice that was put into her because of her parents. This lady was in her 70s. And I said to her, I thanked her for her comment, but I said to her, it's not your fault. You are dealing with something that you never wanted, that they put into you. You see, we are putting into the American people, students, lies to omit history and the impact it has had on our society and continues to have on our society is just as bad as telling them lies. Because they will discover, many of them, we are denying them the knowledge, not just of history, but guess what? Of who they are. Of who they are. We're all impacted, whether we know it or not, whether it's directly or indirectly, we're all impacted by what has transpired in this country up until this day. Whether you are knowledgeable of it or not. And when pride and with pride comes fear. And fear's greatest foe is accountability. Is accountability. I look at these um, Republican folks and they're terrified. You see, a, a, a scared person will do anything to survive. When you think that your very livelihood and the livelihood of your family, you will do anything to protect them. See, their livelihood is not based upon any type of humanity. It's based upon their pride, their hubris, their power, their money, their position. And they are terrified of losing it to the point. Let me just share with you just how terrified these people are. Mitch McConnell got up and condemned the president. Condemned him. Said it was all his fault. Okay. And then when he saw that it was costing him political, it could cost him his money, his power, his reputation. It could, it, it could cost his family future money and power. What did he do? Oh, he did a 180. It's not a big deal. We need to move on. He is the essence of everything I have been talking about to you today. They are terrified. You need to stop looking at them as if they are in control. They are scared. And when you are scared, you are desperate. And when you're desperate, you do desperate things. 
And these folks, they're desperate. They feel as if um, allowing for people that look like me the same opportunities that they have that they're going to lose. And they're right. They are going to lose. The, every election bears it out. If minority peoples get out and vote, they lose. When was the last time they won the popular vote? Okay. They can't win unless they suppress the truth, unless they prevent those who have been affected throughout history, the ability to participate in a democracy. If they prevent that, they win. It's, it's the age-old strategy. With pride comes fear. And fear's greatest foe is accountability. That's why we can't talk about it. That's why we can't embrace it. That's why we can't teach it. That's what, because sooner or later, the questions come up. The student says, why? Why did this happen? Who did this? Who, what, when, where, why? So I tell you as a budding historian, answer who, what, when, where, why? And throw how in there too. But when you start to investigate and interrogate American history, we know why we are here. So, what does America do? Said, so, no, nah, we can't talk about it. We can't address it. America's great. Our country is, is the best democracy on the planet. Do you think the rest of the world believes that now? For a long time, the, even though what was happening to black and brown people, most of the world believed that America was this shining city on the hill. But things that was kinking the armor, things start to change. You got a black president. Oh, mm, that rocked the boat. Then you had a George Floyd, during a pandemic where everybody was locked up, where you couldn't escape it, where you had to watch it. And then we saw the real America. Charlottesville, we saw the real America. January 6th, we saw the real America. And what are they trying to do with January 6th? Deny it. Don't talk about it. I've heard Republicans say, well, if Biden wants to move this country forward in unity, why is he still talking about January 6th? You see? Because what they realize is that through the interrogation and investigation, there will be accountability. Ultimately, if we tell the truth, someone is going to have to pay. There will be a reckoning. The chickens will come home to roost. America will have to not only admit its shame, but be accountable for it. Isn't justice about accountability? I mean, does a person do someone wrong and they go into court and then the court finds them guilty and says, oh, just have a nice life. Thank you for coming in today. 
No, <laughs> there's handed down this thing called justice. Why? Because the person, the person, the victim, in order for healing to take place, restitution to take place, there must be justice. A trial has all the evidence. Doesn't the jury go over, go through multiple documents and, 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 and testimony and all of that? Why? So that they can deliver justice. But you know what we say to the jury? We're not going to give you anything. We don't want you to hear it. Or what we're going to do is we're going to leave out the key parts. Because we want you to come to a certain decision. Listen, folks. This is just too hard for our current leadership to bear. I mean, this is this. We, we, we have to understand this. This is too hard for our current leadership to bear. Why? Because they are weak. They're fragile. They're fearful people. These are not leaders. Leaders are strong. Leaders are empathetic. Leaders lead by example. They're stand-up people. They don't fold under pressure. They rise under pressure. They don't care if they're the only person standing. Leaders stand for what is right. That's not what we have today. They lack the capacity to be strong and courageous. They don't have it. It's like me wanting to be seven feet tall. I'm 5'10". I don't have it. I can't do it. It, 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 it. I won't get there. Our current leaders, I'm talking again. I said earlier, I was talking in the general sense, national, state, local, county, all of these. They're weak. I, I wish someone would prove me wrong. Now, again, I'm not taking a brush and making a wide stroke of every leader out there. Don't hit me up on Messenger and say, you know, Boom Boom Rael is doing all. Don't, 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 don't do that. Okay. I'm not saying that every leader on the planet or every leader in the United States is not taking a stand. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying those who have the power to change our country are weak, fragile, and capable of bringing about change. We have a Congress that is incapable of bringing about change. We have an administration although they're doing the best they can, incapable about bringing about change. We have a state government here in Oklahoma, incapable, state, local, uh, incapable of bringing about change. Why? Because they're weak. They're fragile. You see, 
as a leader, you have to be willing to do what is right, even in the face of your own demise. Mm. Few, few have the ability to be sacrificial leaders because it's not about them. It's about the truth. And listen, folks, my uncle used to tell me, if a man won't stand for something, he'll stand for everything. That's where we're at. Everything that benefits them, they don't care. They will give you the, listen, you're not going to have a politician show up and say to you, or a community leader show up and say to you, listen, I don't care about y'all. I'm only thinking about myself, my family, my career. That's all I'm concerned about. No, they're going to show up and tell you exactly what they think you want to hear. And you know the problem is, if you look at what they're said to us, we've heard it over, 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 and over again. Change is very difficult. And it takes change agents to make that happen. And we don't have those. We don't have those. You see, these people were born into a world or converted to a dogma that is terrified of the truth. They would rather lie in the face of God than lose their power and privilege. Elijah said there are these so-called leaders have plenty of strength when running for office. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah, they hit all the right notes. Oh, it's a, it's a perfect harmony. They tell you exactly, and, 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 and you really don't see them until it's election time anyway. Then they, they travel through the churches and they hit all the festivals and, and they're making all the calls. They're doing all of that, right? But no change. What has changed? What has changed in this country? Well, you say, well, hold on now. You, you're not in change anymore. You, you got rid of that thing called slavery, did you? You ever seen that movie Slavery by Another Name? You ever read the new Jim Crow? I mean, it's slavery. Well, the restriction of movement, the ability to make your own decisions, the ability to be treated fairly by the law, equal opportunity, equal access. When all that is limited, it's, it's a form of slavery. It's not chattel slavery. You're not in chains and being whipped and being owned as property. But yet, if you're working for a corporation and you're marginalized, you can't talk, you're afraid to talk, aren't you being controlled? Aren't you being limited? Aren't you being used? Especially if you're the only minority there fitting the uh, diversity script for them. Yeah. Um, so how does this ever change? How does it? Goes to what I just said, leadership. Our fight is not simply to change this country. Our fight today 
is to get them to acknowledge the truth of this country. Think about that. You, you, you travel to other places and, you know, you may go to Greece and you may go to uh, Italy. You may go to, you go to these places and they're rich in their history and their culture. The good, the bad, and the ugly. They'll talk about it. But in America, we are probably the only democracy that has been in complete denial of who we are. How can a country, how can a country treat its citizens fairly when it denies the experiences of its citizens? When it denies who it is? You know, first, first, what do they say? The, the, the first uh, step to change is acknowledging you have a problem. Well, Houston, we have a problem. We got a major problem. We got multiple problems. Yet, we won't acknowledge them. I'm winding down, folks. You can't change yourself if you don't know who you are. This country cannot change until we acknowledge who we are. This will begin when we change who is in charge. You see, in order for us to get where we need to go, those in charge cannot take us there. Are you convinced with me? I'm convinced. And trust me, I'm not a, I'm not a pessimist. I, I, I have voted for people and I have hoped. But nothing has changed. And if you get to the point where you keep believing in the same people that are failing you each and every day, then you are a fool. We got to change the leadership. They can't be in charge anymore. I'm talking national, state, local level, county level. Anyone that is not working toward change must be removed. Removed. Because otherwise, they're just maintaining their privilege and their power and the status quo. It starts by having humble leaders. Humble. Now, someone's going to say, yeah, that's, you know, that's all that feel-good stuff, right? That's all that, uh, you know, yeah, that touchy-feely, weak stuff. Humility is not weakness. Humility is strength under control. It's nothing weak about being humble. You see, the, 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 the antithesis of pride is humility. No pride or arrogance. A modest person. You see, when we have humble leaders, and let me just say this as a side note. I've been seeing this a lot, and I, I'm just going to just put it out there, and folks can be mad at me all they want to, but I'm going to put it out there. I see now these, uh, you know how you identify yourself on social media, and people are actually identifying themselves as social activists. 
I don't I, I don't I don't really know what to make of that. I mean, if I give them the benefit of the doubt, I would say that they're trying to uh, let people of color know that they're an ally. I mean, is social activist is that a job title? Is that I mean, can you go on Indeed and get a job as a social activist? I don't I don't I just I'm I'm confused by the need to identify yourself as a social activist. Well, maybe they're identifying it to their white brothers and sisters so that they know not to bring that mess their way. That's giving them the benefit of the doubt too, maybe. But it seems a little hubris. It seems a little hubris. Look at me. I'm a social activist. Why do you have to tell people? Well, they asked Frederick Douglass about his life. The great Frederick Douglass. They said, Frederick, you know, basically brag on yourself, Frederick. Frederick said, no. I want you to ask those who labored with me. Ask those who saw my actions. Go to those who were in the trenches with me. Frederick said, I don't have to toot my own horn. That's humility. Yeah. You see? We live in a country where individualism and pride and arrogance and let me get mine before you get yours and it's my world. We live in a country where pride reeks in every area of our society. Pastors are prideful. Look at my church. I got so many members. Pastor Appreciation Day, I got all this. Look at that. Pride. Politicians are prideful. They go around promising you everything. And knowing in the back of a mind, they're going to give you nothing. And these people running around now that call themselves social activists. I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm doing It's all about you. It's not about those who are suffering. Otherwise, you would work in the shadows. You don't need to be recognized. You don't need to be patted on the back. You don't need to be acknowledged to do the work. Matter of fact, the work is not done in the forefront. It's done in the back. That's where the hard work takes place. That's where the rubber meets the road. But that ain't good enough for you. You need the camera. You need the microphone. You, you, need, you need the accolades. You need everybody jumping on your bandwagon saying how great you are. That is the problem. We're too full of pride. And until we have leaders, even on the local level, who understand it is not about me. It's about the collective and the work that we do together. We need humble, modest. We need people that understand that they are no better than anyone else and that it is a privilege to work alongside our brothers and sisters. A humble person knows who they are and who they are not. 
They know their limitations, and they embrace their vulnerability, and they don't run from it. There's a certain truism. There's a certain identity awareness. There's a certain way of looking at yourself precisely who you are. But many of these people have based their social activism upon their identity. That's not who you are. That might be what you try to do, but that's not who you are. That's one of the most difficult questions for people to answer. Who are you? (laughs) Who really are you? Humble people realize they are not the story. They're just only a speck. A speck of the story. A sentence. And if you're real great, you might get a paragraph. But this thing that I'm talking about to you today is comprised of the history of this country. And it has many players, many actors, many contributors. And if you're fortunate enough to be a speck, then you be the best speck you can be. Not for you, but for change. Humble people value others like they value themselves. But most importantly, they value the truth no matter how painful it may be. Because history will speak of us. Somewhere in the distant future, a scribe will reach down deep into the archives of our time, and what will she find? Will she discover that we overcame our differences? Will she find that out of many, we became one? Or will she find that we solved nothing and remain a divided peoples? Yes. History will speak of us. All we gotta do is work together. We gotta raise our children better. We gotta stop the hate, stop the hate, and spread the love. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. Thank you for downloading the One Mic, One Voice show. Take a moment and subscribe and share. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or any other podcasting platform. Thank you for your continued support and for your voice. You can change the world. It's your choice. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the One Mic, One Voice show are not the views, thoughts, and opinions of our sponsors.